Would you turn to John 13? It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfil the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the Apostle John for providing by your spirit your very words to us. We pray the same spirit who inspired John might teach us more about the Lord Jesus and how we can best serve him. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen. Uh, John 13 uh, commences, of course, the uh, upper room discourse, uh, as it's often called, and it refers back, of course, uh, to the prologue uh, from which all understanding of John's gospel flows uh, with regard to the love uh, that Jesus had for his own. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, uh, in, the, in, in John 1. And here, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So here the, the love of God and uh, it is seen in the, in the life of Jesus as he comes to this somewhat extraordinary description of the foot washing in, in, uh, in chapter 13. Uh, we don't get it. it it's almost uh, slightly mysterious. It's, it's sort of uh, enigmatic as to what's happening. Uh, 
Uh, in the dinner, it, it appears, without any explanation, he gets up, uh, takes off his outer clothing um, and puts a towel around him and then commences to, uh, to wash the disciples' feet. But before he does so, John alerts us to the fact that not only does Jesus know he is about to go to his father, having, uh, having loved his own in the world, but having known that what had been put into the heart of Judas to betray him, knowing the Father had given all things into his hand. So you have this uh, interesting reflection upon Judas in the context of the foot washing. Now, the, the foot washing uh, commences and as he pours the water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet, presumably he's, he's washed some and then he, and he comes to Simon Peter and Simon Peter says, no, because you are my Lord and Master. You are the one whom I, I should wash your feet. He doesn't actually say that, but that's the implication. Jesus is the one who's now taking on the, the work of not just a servant, but a slave. Uh, you might, inferior members of the family might wash uh, superior members' feet. Children might wash parents' feet. Slaves would certainly wash master's feet. Uh, for Jesus to wash Peter's feet is completely out of context and out of everything that he understood in terms of societal life and proper respect for those uh, who were elders to him or spiritual elders to him in the case of Jesus. Law, um, so Simon says, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, what I'm doing now you don't know, but afterwards you will understand. Uh, that never stops Peter from uh, pursuing uh, his own agenda uh, in as much as, well, you're not going to wash my feet because, you know, this, this is just, just improper. You'll never wash my feet. How strong is that uh, in the Greek? And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. And that's another extraordinary statement uh, with regard to, to what Jesus says. Uh, Peter has been told he's going to understand afterward and that becomes obvious when he still doesn't understand after what Jesus has said. And so Simon responds. In one sense, there's a, uh, there's a, a delightful response in Peter that, okay, if you're going to wash my feet, then just wash my whole, you know, let's go the, let's go the whole hog. Uh, perhaps a Jew wouldn't say hog. Uh, let's, let's, let's do everything, you know, wash my whole body, and uh, because I, don't just stop at the feet, but wash the whole body. And then Jesus has an even more curious thing. And he says, the person who's bathed has, has no need to be washed head to toe, but only their feet. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, this isn't a reference to the hygiene of the disciples. Uh, this, is, this is not with regard to uh, the physical washing. And the very symbolism expressed in Jesus' words unfolds for us. There is, some, there is a deeper meaning here with regard to the foot washing than merely the washing of feet. Uh, I think this is uh, misunderstood when the Pope... Uh, every year on Maundy Thursday, 
uh, washes the feet of uh, a random set of priests. Uh, and I think uh, that sense in which there's a nice symbolism with regard to uh, an elder or a superior uh, washing the lesser's feet, but this is not a ceremonial activity that Jesus is doing. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because we don't have the Last Supper in, um, in John's Gospel, as you know, uh, and of course some, some people have thought, well, this really is a, another sacrament of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, the Mennonites, for example, take that view. Uh, so, so foot washing is actually a, a ritual uh, in the Mennonite church. Um, I was in America once at a, uh, at a, at a seminary and the American scholar um, Willem van Gemmeren was, um, was uh, speaking. Uh, I discovered afterwards in conversation with him that he was actually uh, uh, giving a lecture in order for the possibility of his becoming a member of the faculty of this particular uh, American institution, which was a fairly reformed institution. And, um, it had, and, the, and the conversation with the faculty had not gone particularly well before the lecture. So he was going to give a lecture on why John 13 was actually the third sacrament uh, in the Christian church. And he said to me, I thought, well, what the heck, I'll just do it anyway. Um, he didn't get the job. Um, <laughs> but it does raise the question, if you were reading this, and Jesus says you're supposed to wash each other's feet, why is this not become a regular practice? How is it, you know, you've got the Lord's Supper in the same section in the, in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, not in John's Gospel. Is this another sacrament? And, and I think the answer to that question is one, in terms of church history and even the developing canon, you, you don't see this as an activity which is carried on in a ritual, if I say sacramental fashion. Um, and it hasn't been understood that way. Uh, but what it, has been, what it has been highlighted is what is the nature of this washing? Uh, the first thing to notice is that when Jesus describes Peter as being clean, he's describing him as being in relationship with him, with his sins having been cleansed. Uh, at the end of John 6, you'll recall when some of the disciples, they refer to as disciples, John can be enigmatic in his language, disciples leave Jesus, so they appear to be disciples but no longer. Jesus turns to the twelve, will you also leave? And Jesus makes that famous uh, statement, where else have we to go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, so, John, we don't have a Caesarea Philippi moment in John's Gospel, but we do get a developing belief of the disciples on the way through John's Gospel, which, of course, although we get hints with regard to that one of the twelve will betray Jesus, one of the twelve is a son of perdition, uh, from the outward appearance, all the twelve are believing. Uh, and that's the language you get in John 6.66, for example. What does it mean to be clean uh, and yet to have your feet washed? It's interesting. Uh, when we said the confession this morning, we actually confessed our sins. And we asked God to cleanse us, did we not? Well, if you're a believer, before you came into the assembly this morning, you came in forgiven, did you not? So why then did you need to confess your sins and ask for forgiveness? It's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? The, uh, the fact that in the Lord's Prayer, which we also prayed this morning, we have forgive us our sins. I take it that what John, what John is revealing for us in Jesus' words here is that 
Yes, we are clean. We are Christians. Uh, the language of saint is, is the regular description of Christians. The language of sinner is the regular description of non-Christians, despite our evangelical desire to keep using the word sinner to describe ourselves, which I think is flawed. No, we are clean. We are the righteous. We're not the wicked in the language in the partition that you find in the Psalms. We are clean, but we need our feet washed. We need to be constantly cleansed. We need to find ourselves recognising that sin is still a part of our lives. Sin ought not to characterise our lives, but sin is still a part of our lives and will continue to be so. So the Wesleyan perfectionism is a misguided notion. Sin will always be with us in the, in the flesh in this mortal life. It's only when we're free from this world and uh, entered in God's presence that we'll be free from sin completely. So sin is here and therefore we need our feet washed. But don't forget that we are clean. When you encourage your congregations, build them up that they might know they are saints. How many times have, you, have your rectors in your congregations referred to the congregation as saints? Uh, we seem to be so fearful of the word saint because the Roman Catholics have hijacked it. Unless you've got two miracles up your sleeve, you can't be called a saint. You might get blessed by one, but uh, sainthood only comes with two. I mean, this is such a nonsense. But we, I think, in the evangelical tradition have just failed to capture the language of the holy ones, the cleansed, the people of God who can stand tall in the grace of God. Not, of course, in their own strength, but in the grace of God. You are clean. But not all of you. Jesus knows Judas's heart. It's interesting that the other disciples don't recognise this. It's not that surprising because we can't determine the nature of another person's heart. You only, we work with one another in the Christian uh, family, we recognise and treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but you can't read my heart, I can't read your heart. We've got no means of election detection, shall I say, uh, with regard to that. It's interesting, in the, in the synoptics, when uh, Jesus says, one will betray me, the disciples don't say, aha, they don't all point to Judas, you know, looking at uh, da Vinci's uh, painting, because uh, he's, the, he's the, clearly the guilty one, uh, they'd had no idea. We, we know, you see, we're, we're, we're fooled into thinking that everyone knew from the beginning, but they didn't. They actually thought, they more thought it was themselves. They were aware of their own sinfulness, the possibility of betrayal, although Peter, of course, would never betray, would he? No, no, no. Not once, not twice, not thrice. But they didn't know it was Judas. And that, of course, is part of the reason why in our churches, we'll have people whose hearts have not been changed. Uh, the New Covenant doesn't have a much purer church than the Old Covenant. Uh, the reason why Jesus chose 12 is clearly the reconstituted Israel, and you'll see that reflected in the book of Revelation, of course. But why did he choose 11 good guys and one bad guy? Uh, were the odds that, you know, 11 out of 12 is not too bad, that'll do? No, he actually was deliberate. 
He deliberately chose Judas. And I take it he deliberately chose Judas as a reminder that the work of God is a spiritual work on the heart of individuals. And from Jesus' perspective, yes, Judas was not clean. Even though he was baptised, according to John 4, as a follower of Jesus, his heart was not cleansed. But Jesus washes Judas's feet. You might have thought he would have excused him from this ceremony. You might have thought that the language of washing and all its spiritual potency of being clean could not apply to Judas. But Jesus allows it to apply. See, the symbolism of working with the people of God is not worked on the basis of our knowledge of another person's heart, but our knowledge of their membership of the covenant, their confession of Christ, their their life of faith. And we may make mistakes and people will fall away. We know from scripture that God's elect are not going to fall away, but we don't have any access to who the elect of God are. So here there's an illustration of Jesus washing even Judas's feet, which is instructive for us. After he's um, uh, washed his feet, he puts his clothes back on, sits up and then teaches them. And what does he say? He says, um, he asks them, what, 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 have you, what have I done? Do you know what I've done? And it doesn't get an answer because I think it's clear they don't. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You might have thought he would have said, I've washed your feet, therefore you should wash my feet. Doesn't say that, does he? God's love has come in the incarnate Son as a demonstration of servanthood that the disciples might know how to relate to one another, how to wash one another's feet. That's the teaching of this passage. And the teaching for us then is, how do you wash one another's feet? You won't have completed this by actually doing the physical task, although the physical task might be appropriate, especially with some people's feet. Uh, it's, not, it's not the physicality of the washing, it's the symbolism of servanthood. In a community like Moore College, how do you serve your colleagues How do you wash their feet? I was at a house party once uh, at my local church years ago and the um, enterprising leader of this house party said, I've put everyone's name in a a basket on a piece of paper. I want you to take a name out. This is on the Friday night. I want you to take a name out. And through this weekend, I want you to do um, an act of grace to the person on the name but without them knowing that you've got their name. I want you to actually serve a particular person, find a way of ministering to them, loving them, caring for them, without some kind of hubris or ostentatiousness with regard to, look at me, I've got your name, what can I do for you? 
but actually do it in a genuine aspect. It was a great exercise, but only an exercise if it actually transforms our behaviour. Not a one-off house party, not a one-off foot washing, but a life of serving one another. In uh, a community of faith like this, but a community of scholars like this too, uh, competition uh, can disrupt relationships. Competition among the faculty can disrupt relationships. You know, more people come to your elective than to mine. Or you seem to get better marks than mine. Or you're, you get better uh, survey responses than I do as a lecturer. I remember when I was at, when I was at um, in Theological College and uh, there was a, a fellow who was, very, who was, fairly, good at he- was fairly good at Hebrew. He wasn't fantastic, he was fairly good at Hebrew. But a guy who really struggled with Hebrew. Not surprising, wasn't his first language. And, uh, he, uh, and the guy who was good, actually, who was getting A grades, he spent time with the guy who was failing. At the end of the semester... The guy who had been failing got into the C. He, he got his pass. The guy who was helping him got a B. He hadn't given as much time in, in his own study. That B was a better mark for the glory of God than an A without helping his brother. If this passage is to teach us something, it teaches us how do we actually serve one another. Uh, when I was in Tanzania... Uh, we went out to an agricultural um, training place that the, the bishop and a few archdeacons uh, took me through. So we're walking through these muddy fields. Well, they weren't muddy because it was fairly dry, but dusty and dirty things. And I, and I came back and I was staying with the bishop and I said, look, have you got some shoe polish? Because I need to polish my shoes. I was preaching in the cathedral uh, uh, the next morning. And he said, give the shoes to me and I'll polish them. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm happy to polish them. No, no, just give them to me. Now, that's pretty unusual for a Tanzanian bishop. Uh, they, would, or they would not do that themselves. They, they're fairly hierarchical in their, in, their, uh, in their world. And there was an example of his servanthood to me as a guest. I knew, you know, I know Archbishop might trump bishop, but uh, the point was he didn't give it to a servant. He could have done so. We had a driver uh, who was driving us around and was in many ways there at the beck and call of the bishop. Now, he actually polished my shoes because he wanted to serve me. Brothers and sisters, when you're in ministry, you need to serve Judas as well as those whom you consider the saints. You must not be discriminatory in the people you serve. You must not determine, well, this one's really a chosen one of God, I can serve that person, this one's off to perdition, no point wasting my time. Jesus loves his own even unto the end. Yes, he knows who's going to betray him, but he also knows that his love is there for all. And his teaching of the disciples is there to wash one another's feet. And if we're to be true disciples of Jesus, let alone leaders of congregations and full-time paid ministers of the gospel, We need to learn how to wash one another's feet. That might mean knowing the person better than you do know, how to serve that person with their needs, how to truly love them with Christ-like love, 
so that we might be true disciples of Jesus. Verse 17 is worth knowing off by heart. If you know these things, blessed are you if you repeat them, if you teach them, if you write them down. No. Blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for the glory of his majesty and for his humility in becoming man. Father, for his servanthood, to teach us how to serve one another and in so serving one another we might serve you. Father, give us servants' hearts, not just in name, but in true reality and in love for one another, that we might be blessed as we follow Jesus' commands and trust in him for the outcome. And we pray this in his name. Amen.